The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in industry and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Welcome to our newest series under the Game Changers umbrella. As the gentleman said, this is Biz Buzz with Game Changers. We've got a treat for you. Very interesting show today, opening this new 13-week series. Let's talk about millennials. I think you know who they are by now, but let me give you a little background in case you've been hiding under a rock. Millennials, a.k.a. also known as Gen Y, are the post-Gen X demographic. When were they born? Between the early 1980s and early 2000s. They're kind of young. They're a diverse, well-educated, expressive group. They've already made a unique mark, and I mean unique, on commerce, on the workplace, on social media, on everything. So the question for you and your company is, how should you market to this burgeoning new market wave? How do you sell to them? How do you talk to them? I've got a panel of experts Vast, vast backgrounds, interesting, dynamic. We're going to tell you what our experts think. I'm going to introduce them to you now with their quotes they sent me, and then I'll tell you about them, and we'll hear their voices in a moment. First up on the panel will be Craig McDonald. He's a managing director with Accenture's Interactive Marketing Data Management and Data Monetization Practice. That's a big business card. And here's a quote he sent me. The millennials provide a unique opportunity to marketers because they're exposing more information about their habits, their personal lives, their buying propensities than any generation. How much? By a factor of 100, says Craig McDonald. He'll explain to us why in just a few minutes. That's a very interesting statistic. Also joining Craig on the panel today is Dr. Paul Morrison. He's a consumer psychologist. I don't think we've ever had a consumer psychologist on the show. And he says, okay, get ready for this. Not exactly X-rated, but for grown-ups. 94% of millennials would prefer to give up sex than give up their smartphone. He didn't make that up. It's according to a Daily Mail survey in 2013 this year, so that's fresh off the presses. And rounding out our panel today is Madura Agarwal. He's the SAP VP of Strategy, and he's a speaker on the art and science of marketing. His quote, old and new, first part, give me a place to stand, and with a lever I will move the whole world. That's Archimedes, in case anybody remembers that one, but Madura freshens it up to the present time. He says, apply this to millennials, and they would say, quote, 
give me an iPhone and I will move the whole world, unquote. Thank you, Bedour, for that. So join us for the next hour on Marketing to Millennials, Myth versus Fact, or I also like to call it Who, What, Why, When, Where, and How. Yes, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to the debut episode of Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. We are live. It's Tuesday, December 10th, 2013, hurtling toward a new year. So we wanted to kick this off before the new year and get started. Let me tell you about my panelists today, and we're going to hear their voices. Doctor, let me see. We start out with Craig. Craig McDonald is a partner with Accenture Interactive, where he's the global capability lead for marketing insight and visualization and data monetization. Before Accenture, his roles included running marketing for Microsoft's Bing Ads product, product manager for Google in the advertising products, and CMO of the digital agency Covario in San Diego, and on and on and on. He started his own consulting firm in the late 1990s, and he worked for Gartner before that. Very interesting past. Craig McDonald, welcome. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from New York. I actually live in Southern California, so I'm enjoying this uh, snow. I don't. I don't get to enjoy it that often. Well, good. I'm glad that's a that's an interesting thing for you. Those of us who live here in the East Coast, we're just getting used to it all over again. Thank you for joining me. And Dr. Paul Marsden is a consumer psychologist, as I said, and his role is to help brands better understand consumers and their emotional needs. Very interesting. Using online psychological techniques developed for his PhD, Paul co-founded Brain Juicer, which is now a leading international brand communications research agency. He's a popular speaker, and we're going to find out why, and he's the author of Connected Marketing and the Social Commerce Handbook. I have to add this. He's also a fanatical follower of the Miami Heat. We don't usually do sports on the show, but that's good to know. Dr. Paul Marsden, welcome. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Phoning in from London. We have no snow, but it's cold and gray as it so often is in London. Well, that's good to know, and we're glad you took the time to join us. Are you there? Do you live there? Are you there on business? Just tell me. Yeah, I moved back from Miami. I was in Miami for a number of years and uh, moved back to, to London a couple of years ago now. So uh, I'm enjoying the, the being back in Europe. And that's the reference to the Miami Heat because you were there. Good to know. And I think you need a little Miami Heat right now. Thank you, Paul. I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you, Paul. And rounding out our panel is Madura Agarwal, VP of Strategy for SAP. He leads the worldwide marketing strategy within SAP's office of the CMO. His team is chartered to champion voice of the market, help improve SAP's competitive position, and drive the transformation of SAP marketing to a best-run business. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit more about him. Let's see. His prior jobs include management consulting at Booz and Company, business development at Oracle, sales at HCL. He holds an MBA from Wharton, a master's in information management, and an undergraduate degree in engineering. You've been very, very busy. How are you today, Madur? I am excellent. As you know, it's snowy in New York, and it's beautiful out here. And where in New York are you? Are you in the city, or are you somewhere else? I am actually in the suburbs, in the Princeton area uh, at okay. this moment, but yes, based out of New York. And we have to know how much snow is in the ground. It is four inches. I think that's what it looks like. Wow, 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 wow. And uh, Craig, you said you were in Basking Ridge, you told me before we started the show, and you've got six inches. Looks like we're going to have the lightweight snow here on Long Island. We barely have about an inch on the ground. So, yes, you can keep it. That's what I say. Okay, gang, let's get going. Let's go back into the opening and start pulling apart your quotes. Craig McDonald, I'm going to start with you. You say the millennials provide a unique opportunity to marketers because they're exposing, I'm interested in that term, exposing more information about their habits, personal lives, buying 
propensities in any generation by a factor of 100. So, Craig, I'd like you to start by using explaining the word exposing more information. Exactly how are they making it exposed to the marketers? Then tell me about how you came up with the factor of 100. Go ahead. Sure. So, uh, it- let me put this in a little bit of context. So, as you mentioned in my bio, I used to work for Google, and um, I remember when I was going through orientation at Google, I asked one of the people who was presenting uh, during our orientation programs. This wasn't the intern, not like the movie. This was the actual, um, the actual uh, orientation program. I said, "Who do we consider as Google our biggest competitor?" And mm-hmm. uh, what, what do you, Bonnie? I'll ask you. Well, who do you think Google thinks is their biggest competitor? Oh, God, don't ask me that. I don't know. I'm going to say something <laughs> silly like, is, is there a competitor in the world for Google? I don't know. Well, they, they, I, I know. They think, it's, go ahead. they think it's Facebook, and here's why. Um, really? When you go to Google and you type in a search, say, hey, I'm looking for a restaurant, Google is mm-hmm. going to respond with a bunch of ads, both paid and then their natural search ads. But the paid ads are going to be Roos Chris Steakhouse, the local Indian restaurant, the pizza place, etc. It's mostly mm-hmm. based off of your location. But right. Google felt that because of the way Facebook works, Facebook is going to know whether you're a vegetarian or not. Because basically, particularly younger people that use Facebook very aggressively, and you know, basically the entire population, given the size of that particular site, mm-hmm. people are going on there and they're self-entering everything they do, everything, everywhere they eat, everyone they know. They're basically crowdsourcing all of this information about people's propensities, and it's being entered by the consumers, and it's being able to be captured in a highly scalable way. Um, unlike any time in, in, in history. And so I, I lay out that story. Google was saying, geez, we need to have that same type of signal, that same type of understanding of what consumer intent is so that we're not serving up a Roos Chris Steakhouse ad to mm-hmm. a vegetarian. And we wouldn't know that if we didn't get that context, right? So I've been a marketer for about a decade now, and I've, uh, I've done the credit card marketing. I've done direct marketing. I've done digital advertising. And information is the lifeblood of a marketer if you want to really be successful. And the more I can understand about a consumer's intents and about a consumer's mm-hmm. propensities and what they're interested in, the better job I can do to make sure they get relevant information and they get it in a relevant context. And millennials in particular, just given the nature of the technology that they've had available to them, converse through digital media, be it their iPhones or their Android phones, be it through the web, social media, etc. And they're exposing all of this information from day one about Mm -hmm. everything in their timeline, everything about their life, and it's all being captured digitally by major major platforms like Facebook, like Twitter, like Google, um, all these various platforms that allow now a marketer to get access to that information and be able to put relevant ads in front of them. And this, you know, the factor of 100, okay, I made that up. That's not based okay. on the <laughs> I liked it. Uh, I liked it, it a lot. Be, it was meant to be intriguing. But uh, I think that number is low. <laughs> to be quite honest really? Well, um, Craig, oh, if you had to guess where, what factor would you put it at? And this is compared to all the other generations that are on, let's use a Facebook example, all the generations that are embracing or not so much Facebook, this is where the exposure sounds like from you, willingly, eagerly, personally putting every Everything they do, every place they go, sharing, if you will, sharing in this vast worldwide community. So millennials compared to one other generation or all of them together, Craig? Where does it what would you well, number I think, all of them, I think all of them together. You're gonna to be able to follow yes. the entire life arc of the millennials for the first time from beginning to end. Now marketers have tried to do this from the beginning of time. Take Disney as an example. I have a I have mm-hmm. an eleven year old daughter and I've watched her just from age two go through 
Disney's fairy series and then the princesses and now uh-huh. kind of on to the Pixar heroes and things like that. And a lot of marketers, they think about the entire life cycle of a consumer. But in the past, there was really no way to get that. You would do surveys, which are expensive. You'd go out and mm-hmm. do focus groups. You would go out and do all sorts. You'd purchase all sorts of data that was relatively expensively procured. And now, I don't need to do any of that. With the millennials, we'll be able to see from day one through day N everything that they do because they'll be putting in place a digital signature, which will be able to track over a lifetime. I mean, I'm, I'm 45, and so that wasn't my history isn't available until you know I started using digital mm-hmm. media in the early knots I guess that's what they're called which at that point I was in my early 30s and so my propensities when I was in my teens and my 20s are not captured digitally the millennials will all be captured and you know like I said it's going to offer marketers a huge opportunity because we live off of data we do. Thank you, Craig. Good start to our conversation. I want to make one comment before I bring Paul in to talk about his quote. We're going to get a little exy here, even though we're talking about Gen Y. I would say from what you've said, Craig, that I might dub the millennials the transparent or transparency generation. Because if they are, yeah, they are the only one, the first one to put their whole life out there. And as you say, exposing more information, we could say exposing all information, freely and willingly and eagerly. Very interesting. Thank you. Dr. Paul Marsden, consumer psychologist. First of all, I have to ask, Paul, what does a consumer psychologist do? Then we'll get into your quote. Well, we basically uh, look at uh, consumer behavior. So we look at the motivations driving uh, brand choice, the motivations uh, uh, driving switching products when you're satisfied, when you're not satisfied, how it relates to your experience, relates to your expectations, and and, and the fallout of that. So it's basically looking at motivations that drive us to buy uh, product or service X rather than product and service Y. Okay, good to know. Thank you. And let's get to your quote. This is from the Daily Mail survey. I assume that's a newspaper or a, a publication yeah, it's, in it's, London. It's one of the leading uh, UK national one of the leading UK national newspapers. Yeah. Okay, I'm learning now. Here's the quote: Ninety-four percent of millennials would prefer to give up sex than give up their smartphone. Provocative, provocative, provocative. That's why I didn't put you first because I I wanted to approach the topic from a different perspective before we got into. This. So what kind of survey was it, Paul Marston? Tell me. We're just looking at people's attitudes towards technology. I mean, uh, and they're they're changing so rapidly as technology changes. I was doing some focus groups with a bunch of millennials um, not not, not so long ago, and uh, we're asking um, them sort of, when would you use email? And then sort of got blank looks from from the people in, in the group saying, well, I suppose if I had to send a thank you note to my grandparents, I might use email. Um, and, you know, I'm sort of old enough now to think, you know, email's still a pretty neat idea. But it's for, for, mm. for, for, for Gen Y millennials. It, it's, it's past technology. It's like I was using sort of uh, um, video cassette recorders. It's just, if we don't OMG. do it anymore. OMG. So, <laughs> Perish <yeah>. the thought. <laughs> Go ahead. So, 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 I, so um, the technology is changing massively, and and I, and I think that uh, we, we see this this affinity. This uh, um, a third of girls before first thing they do when they get out, um, millennial girls before they, when they wake up in the morning, the first thing they do is check their social media accounts before going to the bathroom or anything else. Mm-hmm. It's the first thing they do, and from that moment onwards, they are wedded to their smartphone. 
Now, there's all sorts of reasons why that might be, and some psychologists believe it. It's almost like a, a social umbilical cord. It connects you to the world. It, means it makes you more important. You feel important. You feel connected to other people. And, and a lot of research around millennials is saying that, you know, there's a big pressure to stand alone. This is a, a, a generation around that's the, the built around self-empowerment, self-navigation. And that's great with all the freedom, but it's actually quite tough standing alone. And, and what that smartphone does, it connects you to other people. It means that you matter um, in terms of broadcasting your own feelings, your own sentiments, your own news, and feeling connected and listening to other people. So I think this... This, this, uh, well, this survey looked at people's relationships with technology and find, found that the smartphone in our sort of post-PC world um, is, is something very personal. Uh, um, it's very personal and something that people would rather lose a lot of things, including <laughs> sexual activity, um, <laughs> if they could keep, if they could keep, uh, keep onto their smartphone. It's something that is essential and something that's personal. And I think trying to understand the millennials, we need to understand the relationship between technology and the, the personalization of technology and from a, from a from older, older used to be a sort of a master-slave relationship with technology where, where people used to go and sit on a computer and you had to go to a separate room or at least uh, you know, put something hot up on your lap and then uh, type away at it. But now it's, it's more immediate, it's more personal, it's more, it's, more, it's more essential. And that kind of master-slave relationship where we were the slave to technology in, this, in our post-PC world, we're now the masters of our technology. It's an enabler and it's something that it's almost like a, I think I tend to think of it as the, the smartphone is, like us, is the sixth sense for the millennial generation. Wow, a lot of meat on the bones there. I appreciate that. I, I was going to ask one question, Paul. They say they prefer to give up sex and give up their smartphone. Did they ask them how important sex is to their life? In other words, what is the comparison? Are they in an, obviously we know the answer to how they feel, but relatively, but but as far as what their life values are, um, very very interesting. I had a couple things to say, but I'll save them for later. Thank you so much for that, Medor. We're going to get you in here before we go to break. No rush. Your quote is two parts. You quoted Archimedes. Give me a place to stand and with a lever or lever I will move the whole world and then you updated it to millennials and you would have them say or you would hear them say give me an iPhone and I will move the whole world it sounds like that's a perfect segue to what Dr. Paul Marsden was talking about talk to us Medor what do you think yeah that's 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 fantastic and the, the one thing that I'll pick up from what Paul said is the master-slave relationship, and in, in that spirit, I think the, the term that you have, marketing to millennials, almost is faulty by definition, because that gives the impression that there is a master-slave relationship between the brand and the consumer and the millennial that you're engaging with uh, overall. So I, I, I would like to say that you cannot <clears throat> market to millennials. At best, you can engage with the, with the millennials <clears throat> overall. Uh, but let me let me uh, you know if, before even I go there let let's take a different tact on it because uh, if you if you take a step back and I'll say the most critical issue and it's not just me Jeremy Siegel at Wharton says the most critical long-term economic issue facing the developed world is the aging population it's not mm -hmm. the millennials it's the aging population throughout okay. our history if you look at least in the U S where I am today. There were 50 productive workers for every retiree. We are going to go to a stage by 2015 where we'll have 2.5, you 
you know, productive workers for every retiree. In places like Japan, the ratio is almost down to one is to one. Mm. And throughout our history, the old have sold to the young, and the young have worked for the old and provided them goods. So the fundamental question that we are going to deal with in this new world is who's going to produce the goods and who's going to buy these assets? Who's going to, you know, where is the income to buy these assets is going to come from? The, reti- the difference between our life expectancy and the retirement age, which used to be 1.6 years in 1950, is up to 14.4 years now. Now, just to, what does that mean? It means we need a lot of young population, not just to buy these goods, to actually produce these goods. Now, if you take an immigration point of view, someone will say you need roughly half a billion of people just in the U.S., which is roughly 150% of our current population, to produce and buy all of those goods. Hmm. So the question is, millennials are the answer to all of that, and global millennials, not millennials within your current country, overall global millennials, because they are the ones who are going to produce and they are the ones who are going to consume. And the question is, how are we going to engage with them on both ends of the spectrum? And that's where, you know, they are truly moving the world on their fulcrum. That is the correlation in my mind. Madura, has anybody told the millennials that this burden falls on them? Because it sounds like there's a lot of responsibility, as you're saying. Interesting question. Do they know this? Are they aware of this this changing balance of the producers, the consumers, the income creators? Does anybody tell them that other than you? Hey, it's 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 Jeremy Siegel's <laughs> of the likes of the world, you know, who are who are saying this. But you are absolutely right. The other interesting dynamic on this is no one can preach to them. So whether it is Siegel ah. or whether it's Madur, you know, we can't let <laughs> tell them how. You know, if I tell my ten-year-old, he's not going to listen to me. As Craig would know, with a you know, as a father of an eleven-year-old daughter, they have to discover it for themselves. And that is the challenge of how do you engage with them. Cannot market to them to give them a sense of what their world responsibility is, and it is a big one. I like that, the world responsibility. I have one more comment for Paul Marsden before we go to break. We're just about ready. Paul, you were describing the value of smartphones and and being connected, being part of something. I would think that they really, or all of us at heart, want to matter. We don't just want to be connected. We want to have a place in the world. We want to matter. We want people to know we exist and that we're here for something. That would be my addition. Do you, you agree with that from the consumer psychology standpoint, Paul? Yeah, I think that um, the psychologists call it, as they tend to sort of complicate things, call it a bricolage identity construction. So we kind of, uh, this generation picks, picks and mixes from like supermarket, and they'll have a bit of this, and they'll have a bit of that. And, it's, and they, they create their own identity through the products and services they buy. <clears throat> Whereas we used to identify ourselves with our history, our past, sometimes uh, our creed, our color. More and more, it's people identify themselves, whatever they choose to want to identify themselves with, and that's often with, with products, services, and, and brands. And I, I'd echo that to the point that actually marketing to them is, or rather, or at them is, is the wrong way of looking at it. They really do feel they're, they're masters of their, of their, of their own de- destiny, and actually trying to market at them, you'll kind of get the, um, it won't be hugely successful because they will just turn off. 
Thank you. And it sounds like masters of their own destiny, if we take that and add that uh, new permutation from what Madura said, they're masters of our destiny, perhaps, which is even a bigger global responsibility. A lot of buzzwords coming out of this. Guess what? I'm going to give you all 57 seconds to go take a drink and think about tell what you're going to tell me in the next segment, which is what's in your cup today, because we're following our Coffee Break format, which is our master series. You are listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changers, our newest series under the Coffee Break with Game Changers umbrella. Thrilled to be here on the Business Channel. I am speaking today with Craig McDonald from Accenture, Dr. Paul Marston, consumer psychologist, and Madura Agarwal from SAP. What a panel. What thoughts. We are rediscovering the whole value of millennials right here as we speak. You don't want to miss this one. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and we'll be back in a moment. Don't even think of touching that dial, that mouse, that app, anything. On the other side, we'll see you. Brad out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network business models have a short shelf life today's reality given shifting technologies real-time information and collaboration across time zones competitive advantage increasingly resides in speed to market and in the cloud the bottom line technology cycles will continue to shorten making business planning cycles less realistic and strategies less tenable you need to become a savvy innovator who looks ahead to the next technology trend and its applications to tomorrow's business and industry strategy biz buzz with game changers is presented by sap visit www.sap.com Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.com. D.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Biz Buzz with Game Changers. Here we're buzzing the biz or we're buzzing the buzz or whatever order you want to do it. And I'm going to ask my three guests, Craig McDonald, Dr. Paul Marsden, and Madore Agarwal, what is in your cup today? So let's start out with Craig. What are you drinking or what do you wish you were drinking? Craig McDonald. I'm having a cup of soup. <laughs> well, tell Lentil me more, soup. for goodness <laughs> sake. Well, hey, I'm freezing because, like I said, I'm from Southern California and it's freezing here. Um, but it's lentil soup, no bacon. Uh, I'm a pescatarian. I, I quit eating things with legs. Um, starting in about 2001. I started off not eating things with four legs, and then I cut down to things with two legs, and now I eat. I don't eat things with legs. And what's the term you used? Uh, what is a pescatorian? How do you spell Pes- that? Pescatorian. I only eat fish. So. Really? Very interesting. I don't know if I've ever met it. Well, it's nice to meet a pescatorian. I probably would do very well if I did the same thing, but I don't know. Chicken is still a favorite on my diet, but I could, <laughs> I could live on fish. As long as there's plenty of lobster and shrimp, I think, and, and good uh, Dover sole, I think I could survive. I'll have to talk to my friends and see if we can afford it. Good point. And, and the soup, is it hot? Is it, is it cool? What is it? Really hot? Oh, no, it's hot. Lentil soup. I also do it because it's very efficient. You get sustenance all in one cup. I, I was I, I spent time in the army when I was younger, and uh, lunches were hard to come by. 
So, uh, oh, I okay. You well, I want to be efficient. Sounds good. I think people who love their lentil soup are, are diehard lentil soup people who will go anywhere for a good cup of lentil soup. They can judge a restaurant on the quality of their lentil soup. Is that accurate, Craig? You can, and you can also uh, judge the quality of a restaurant based off of how it makes a veal, but that's why I go with a lentil soup. <laughs> You're full of surprises. Thank you. Dr. Paul Marsden, all the way from London. What's in your cup today, Paul? What time is it, first of all? It's about five, half past five in the afternoon here. So um, I've got some, I've got soup too, but it's more soup for the soul. It's a bit of a mix, I think. I've got uh, um, a bit of uh, Nelson Mandela in my soup, uh, metaphorically speaking. I think it's probably going to be the, is one of the first and, uh, only uh, politicians the world we will ever miss, um, and uh, and the other and the other bit of my uh, soup is uh, Mary Barra, who's the first uh, CEO of uh, um, uh, um, well, in the automotive um, General Motors um, being named I saw that. today, and uh, so I think uh, that both of them are interesting from a sort of millennial perspective because this this idea that you you can be who you want to be and that uh, the the sky's the limit is something that's hard-baked into the psyche of, of, of millennials. And we see sort of uh, Mary Barra, um, first female CEO in uh, one of the big big three in the automotive industry, and uh, Nelson Mandela, who obviously has done, uh, done incredible things and changed uh, global politics, um, I think are, are two icons for, 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 for Gen Y millennials, even if they're not from that generation themselves. Thank you. Good point. We were talking about multi-generational in the door a minute ago. But, Paul, aside from what's in that cup, what's in the other cup? What are you drinking? Is it past tea time? I think we're past high tea if you're after 5 o'clock. Are we up to the wine segment of the day yet, or tell me? No, we're not at the wine segment, but I did have my, uh, my, my, my uh, parents-in-law over this weekend, and so we went to have high tea at the Ritz, which was a lovely <gasps> experience. Oh. Um, and had carol singers, and it was all very uh, golden and, and, and lovely. It sounds beautiful. Sandwiches and, and glasses oh. of champagne. Oh, my goodness. Sounds cucumber sandwiches and champagne. I like with they in special shapes. Don't tell me. I'm getting jealous. Madura Agarwal, what's in your cup today? Bring me back to reality if you dare. <laughs> if I have to bring it back to reality, what's, what's in my cup is, you know, English tea. Uh, I am Indian uh, overall, so hot English tea any day, any time of the day uh, works, works for me, you know. But what is really in my cup are the rising billion because, you know, it goes with the millennials and they are the ones who will power us moving forward. It's the rising billion. It is the Nelson Mandela's of the world overall, the future Nelson Mandela's of the world that are in my Joe. Thank you very much, Madura. That was a colorful coffee segment. Tell you what, let's buckle down and go into our roundtable segment because we're already half past. We're obviously going to skip the half past break. We're going to go straight through, save the last few for your predictions because I can't wait to hear those. So, Dr. Paul Marsden in the UK, I'm going to ask you to tell me about uh, some notes you sent me before the show. This is an interesting twist we haven't discussed on the show yet. And we've covered millennials on several of our Coffee Break with Game Changers shows from the perspective of, let's see, um, 
the millennials as far as fashion, retail, high-end luxury buyers. We've covered millennials in the workforce. How do you hire them? How do you motivate them? How do you manage them? Okay. So now we're talking about marketing to them or not. So the question I have for you, Paul Marsden, is you say to understand millennials, you need to understand the rise of the selfies. This is a generation that over-indexes. I don't know what that means, but I love the way it sounds. Our narcissism, self-importance, self-preoccupation, self-esteem. And you say, who's doing it right? And the word is Apple. So tell us a little bit about selfie. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask uh, Craig McDonald and Medora to jump in when you finish telling us about selfie because I can't wait to hear their take on that. Go ahead, Paul. Talk to me about selfie and this over everything, self everything. Okay, the eyes of the selfie. I mean, you know the the thing. You've probably done it yourself. You take a a shot of yourself on your smartphone and you you post it to uh, Snapchat or if you're in the older generation to Instagram or something. Um, and uh, it's and it's it's a phenomenon that is 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 global and incredibly popular. And the reason why I think it's important is that people are using technology as um, the millennial generation, particularly using technology to manage their own, do their own PR effectively. So actually manage their image, manage their identity, and they're doing it on a proactive basis. Um, I do a lot of work in research in uh, nightclubs, and one of the things we, find, we found is that whilst you used to go to nightclubs and out socializing for a shared experience to share mm-hmm. things with people, share moments, connect with people. What we find interestingly with, with the millennial generation is that people go um, to share stuff on social media. They go to a nightclub and they spend most of the time on their phones sharing the pictures. So rather than actually um, the experience with others who are not there, they are managing their own, hey, look at me, I'm, do- I'm, doing-, I'm doing this. And this kind of identity construction and image management, I think, is, is hugely important for, for, for generation. And when we went, well, went in this recent research, we um, went and started talking again to people about their, their relationship with, with, with technology. And they kind of, they realized that this is actually sometimes this sort of narcissism that uh, research shows that, you know, this generation are very self-oriented. It's been, you know, it's a celebration of the self. It's about self-navigation, self-empowerment. It's they're very self-centered. And, and all the early research that we found, you know, that was more sort of about hopes and ideals and mm-hmm. and conservative politics that you know this was that these, these were echo boomer generation that, uh, that that had similar traditional values to to to, to the boomers and there's actually very little evidence for this these people are they're less and millennials are less engaged in the social world um, and more engaged in them in the, in themselves um, so what, what, they, what this actually means is that there's a, there's a so they realize there's a problem with this. And one lovely quote uh, a guy said, said, I just realized I've touched my iPhone more than I've touched my girlfriend this month. That can't be right. <laughs> not according to the girlfriend, it's not right. Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, and tell me briefly before I, I want Craig and Majora to chime in on this. You say, who's doing it right, Apple? What does Apple have to do with the selfie? Is it because they started the iPhone or, or where's that? What's no, their role in the iPhone? Because I think if you look at the way that Apple positions its technology, it positions it as invisible, as something that is empowering. Good technology is technology that you don't see, that just enables you to do stuff. You look 
through the iPad. You don't look at the iPad. It's a gateway into being able to do stuff. And I think, you know, with the iPhone, this making, making technology intimate, uh, making it personal, making it enabling. Great technology is invisible, and, and Apple is, is promoting itself um, literally on, 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 with, with, with a tagline around that, that you know, great technology is invisible technology. And I think that's, that, that they're, they're doing it right. They're seeing this millennial generation as a generation of self-navigators um, and where self-empowerment is key. And actually empowering people to do what they want, when they want to do it, I think is one of the, the critical success factors for engaging this, this generation. I have to tell a quick anecdote, and I'm going to ask uh, Craig McDonald to chime in on this. And Medora, anytime. The anecdote is I have a couple of cable TV shows I produce and host, and I have a young man who is coming, rising up to be a director and a technical director. And I give him my iPad after the show and ask him to take pictures of me on the set with my guests. It's just something we do, a little PR, no big deal. Well, invariably, Paul, you will not be surprised. He just turned 21 a couple months ago. Invariably, he will do selfie pictures on my iPad with him making funny faces into the camera and when I go home and look at the pictures here's Eric with his eyes bulging out with his mouth wide open and with his hands in the, and it's so funny and I once in a while will email one or two of them to him <laughs> he has to always do the selfies on my iPad I, the first time I saw it I was amazed anyway uh, McDonald Craig McDonald talk to me what do you yeah. think you agree disagree uh, I agree with a with a qualification. Um, Please finding young people who are obsessed with themselves. I I, I mean I per- Paul, you've done more research on this than I have, but uh, I, I grew up in the '80s, aka the Me Generation, and uh, we were very self involved as well. It, the thing I always mm-hmm. struggle with it seems like the technology is an enabling factor here. It's not necessarily the that that there's been some inherent change in human nature or, human, or humanity in itself. If, if we had had iPhones when I was listening to the psychedelic furs and Depeche Mode, we would have been taking photos of ourselves constantly, too, with, you know, the hair and the big shoulders and all the rest of that stuff. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting. It gets back to the point I was trying to make before. What's the opportunity here is that all this technology as an enabler and that people are, again, taking these photographs, that they're constantly texting each other, that they're constantly communicating through these digital products, through these technological products. That's an opportunity. I mean, again, the purpose of this call was about how do you market to the uh, millennials? And that's the great opportunity here is that they are chronicling in a way that is available to a marketer everything about their lives. And if a lot of that information is accessible to marketers and to advertisers, and they're rapidly trying to use it. I would say, you know, I like the quote that Paul had about how, you know, technology as an enabler and it empowers people. Google is a similar thing. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. completely minimalist design when it came to, comes to the Google landing page, just a big white space with a box that says, That's you know, it. are you feeling lucky or do you want to search? Um, you know, and giving you access to essentially all the information that exists in the world. That's very empowering, too. And just this capability to have all this information at somebody's fingertips and also to be able to capture all this information, that's the great opportunity that exists here. Now, we haven't talked about how you actually execute on that information advantage that's being provided, but 
you know, I think we'll get to that uh, later. Why, in the why don't you, why don't you why don't you segue to that right now, Craig, and then we'll have Madura come in on that one. So talk to me. How do we segue from? And you made a note to me before the show. You said TV is not going away anytime soon. Interaction with millennials will be through mobile and wearable technology, as well as key legacy technologies, including TV. So how do we market to them, Craig? Yeah. So. I'll tell you the perspective I've seen, um, just having been in marketing for this time. I talked before about the opportunity with the data that millennials provide. The challenge is how do you actually then interact with them? So I actually do believe that the way, the cost of being able to interact with not just millennials, but essentially any population right now has come down markedly. The ability to create rich media, the ability to create video, the ability to get to people through a mobile phone as opposed to very discrete times like during TV shows and then the interstitials in TV shows. There's essentially screens that exist, as Paul was saying, in front of the millennials 24-7. They check, mm-hmm. whoever said it before, they check their social media first thing in the morning, last thing before they do at night. Uh, they're constantly always in front of a screen at this point. The challenge from a marketer, though, is I now have to do a couple of things. One, in the past when I ran a marketing campaign, it's pretty straightforward. I'd go hire an agency. They'd make a TV commercial. I'd run it on TV. I'd take excerpts of that, and I'd run it on radio. I'd get another agency to make some print ads. I had no way of measuring whether any of this stuff worked. It was impossible, mm-hmm. basically. I would do That's big right. modeling exercises. It was very hard to connect any of that activity to was I actually selling something or not. And that was essentially the way I would go out. I would do direct mailers. I would do some other types of things to engage with the consumers. But the it's called the form factors or the ways that I communicate with people were very finite. They were very well-defined. They were very well-studied. Now all bets are off, right? I mean, there's a new process by which I can communicate with millennials in particular and consumers in general um, weekly. Uh, Pinterest, Instagram, there's always new concepts coming up. And every time one of these concepts comes up, every advertiser in the United States and Europe and the planet goes, can I use that to get at these consumers? Is there a way that I can create um, some interaction that will allow me to communicate with these consumers and socialize my brand, socialize what I'm doing, etc.? Now, that's an expense. Most marketers are struggling with this because to address all these different types of form factors, all these different types of channels, I have to invest in figuring out what will actually create a reaction, a connection. But the opportunity is that the cost of making rich media in particular has come down markedly, YouTube videos, etc. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, those two forces are kind of playing against each other when it comes to how do I actually go and engage. I'll use one other question. I'll use one other anecdote, though, from Google when mm-hmm. it comes to um, how to engage with consumers. Google took the Hack, as, it, as it did with information, that they didn't know what a consumer would actually react to. They just had no idea, and they weren't going to hypothesize. And this is something that's very different. I've sat in enough marketing meetings with organizations where there's somebody in the room that says, I know exactly how the landing page on the website should be and the color palette, and it should be this way or that way. Google never did that. Google said, ultimately, the client is going to know what they're going to react to and what we have to do as an organization. We have to test everything. We have to throw out a 1,000 combinations of colors, fonts, layout of, uh, of different types of creative, layout of different ways that a consumer can experience my brand. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to be outstanding at measuring how they react. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, Google, again, was crowdsourcing the reaction of the population to different types of marketing messages, different ways that you can communicate with consumers. 
And they would just measure that, and then in the end, they would let the data decide. They would let the consumers themselves decide how it was that they wanted to be communicated with, how it was that they wanted to see the information they got about a particular brand. And I think that's the way marketing is moving. It's becoming very data-driven, very experimental, and the marketer is losing control to the consumer. The consumer is dictating ultimately how they want to, con- how they want to consume content from the marketer, only if the marketer sets up the processes by which they can read those dealies. Thank you, Craig. It sounds like a new paradigm. Can I reply to that, buddy. Please, please do, Paul. Go ahead. I, I, I love your music, Depeche Mode. Yep, I really love your, your music, music choice, and, and, I, and I, I buy a lot of what, of what, of what you're, you're saying. Um, but I, I think there's a risk in marketing if we're looking at sort of data-driven marketing. This, this uh, big data that uh, is has become fetishized by marketers. If we can just Get that right dashboard. We're going to crack it. I think just with I think it's one of the uh, Google quotes saying half of all inf- human information now is uh, it's less than two years old, which is producing more and more data. And I think we, and as a psychologist, I know that you know our memory, our, our brains can only take on about three new facts a day. Everything else just just washes over us. We got this data overload. So I think. That, Whilst, whilst data is important, I think that it's equally important. This is a, a generation that values creativity. And if you look at the success, for example, on YouTube of uh, how brands have been successful, it's been with high-budget television quality uh, productions, whether it be um, The Dove, the continuation of their Real Beauty program, mm-hmm. whether it be uh, Volvo ads using John John claude Van Damme in an amazing uh, uh, trip going sort of uh, driving backwards uh, uh, lorries, or whether it be Red Bull, uh, the sort of space jump. I think these things are this, the value of creativity is, is is absolutely key. And I think if we fetishize data too much, uh, we get to the point where you know we we know more than we can possibly understand. And so my call in in marketing is sort of more insight driven rather than data driven. Um, and I think good marketing is insight driven, understanding understanding needs um, as, as opposed to as opposed to purely data driven i'm not suggesting that's what what you're suggesting um, but i think uh, insight is, is is absolutely key and there's a kind of a less is more can be valuable in marketing uh, thank you uh, let paul let me make one point on that if i can go ahead craig sure you know the, the, i think you're paul fair point right What's interesting is that because of the cost of developing rich media or TV ads uh, and running those through YouTube, or I would submit in this case YouTube is just another TV channel where, by which the ad is being run and mm-hmm. it's being run you know, in a streaming way, because the cost has come down, what advertisers are doing is they're not building that one TV ad that lasts for a year because it was so expensive to build. They're making 10. Yeah. Right, and they're putting them out across the board, and they're trying to see who's going to respond best. And they're using YouTube to figure out, well, I ran 10 ads. That's the one that hit. And you're right. It tends to be for high production values because, hey, in the end, quality is not a factor that consumers that is lost on consumers. If they see quality, they'll respond. Mm-hmm. Good. Sure. I, you know what? I want to bring Madura in. And Madura, I'm going to read a couple. I think you sent me well, – you sent me in your discussion points. Before you was go a, there, Bonnie, I, yes. I'll, I'll actually – just on, on the discussion. It's been a fascinating Please. discussion over the last 15 yes. minutes. Go uh, ahead. And neither of them, you know, Craig and Paul, are, uh, you know, wrong. In fact, in some ways they're saying the same thing. And this is the, this is the beauty of, of the situation with millennials, especially, that we find ourselves. We live in a world of and. What we do live is what Craig is saying is a world of 
science, and what Paul is saying is a world of creativity. So it's, as I said, art and science. It's how do you actually marry those two. Paul talked about being the selfie culture. I can cite enough stats. There was a recent Boston Consulting Group study that was being done that says, you know, the largest constitution of millennials are the people who want to make the world a better place overall. So they are, you know, quite the opposite of selfies uh, in, in, in that sense. And it's, they live in an and world. And I actually think both of those phenomena do happen to be true. The key is, at the moment, what is the behavior they are exhibiting? Because these millennials will be very data-centric, very, you know, and at times be very creative. They will get you know, engaged with different things. And that is the hard part for any individual, forget a brand, which is such a corporate thing, to figure mm-hmm. out how do you engage in the moment, in the mood that they are in, within the context that they live in. Thank you, Madura. I want to read something you sent me before the show quickly. I, you sent me a bunch of I statements, and I said, this is what millennials say, according to Madura. I want to read these very quickly and have you respond, because I think this is this is the profile of who we're talking about as far as the, the end target of this mark of marketers. Okay, you say, millennials would say, don't target me. Build a connection with me, a real one. Make me laugh, make me cry, make me care. Don't sell to me. I will see through that. If you want me to buy your product, show me how it will fit in my life, how it will benefit me, and what experience it would provide. I won't necessarily buy everything I share. Keep that in mind. I prefer to shop offline. Facilitate that. However, I also, or maybe you meant I prefer to shop online. However, I also function in the offline world. I engage in group activities. I talk about my experiences and my friends influence my choices. I'm interested in a cause. I want to build a better world. I want to be involved and discover your brand for myself. I want to co-create with you. Engage with me. Don't bombard me with ads and claims. I will see through them. I may not have a lot of purchasing power now, but I will. My generation has 86 million members. Think long term. I have options. Provide me with good experiences, good products, good services. I like to multitask. I use many devices at the same time. I want to be able to find your brand through any of my devices. Thank you, Medora. I'm sorry to be your voice here, but I wanted to speed read through it. Any comments on how this all ties together? Is this a, a living millennial profile? And do you think it will change, Medora? Oh, you know, if I knew what the answer to that question was, will it change or not? <laughs> trust me, I could be making a lot of money right now overall. So okay. I would not even claim to the air, but is it a, it is a, a profile of a millennial? You know, uh, I, in my humble opinion, yes, uh, mm-hmm. overall. And the question is, how are we, again, I go back to how are we involving them? And, you know, there are some examples what Coke has done for in, in Australia with having personalized Coke can bottles, what they've done with shareable cans in Singapore, or what Ben & Jerry's has done with, uh, you know, with their ad saying, hey, why would you want to buy a product where you don't know what's inside it? Those are examples of how brands have chosen to take this philosophy and put that into practice, into execution, how, as, as Craig was, was saying, again, purely from a rich media format, they've been able to do it pretty quickly, you know, in, 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 with speed at a low cost overall, and then be able to use the data to be able to understand and insight to understand whether that is resonating or, or not. Thank you, Medora. Guess what? Five. I mean, just if you count, just count the number of times you said me mm-hmm. in, uh, in that, you know, for the lost count, I think about seven or eight. 
Um, but it, it's about me. It's the me generation, um, which yes. is you know, one of, it's, it's all about me. Um, and so I think, uh, yeah, it's a great, great profile. You know what I'm going to do? I'm skipping the last break because we've got exactly eight minutes to closing. I'm going to divide and conquer. I'm going to give each of you two minutes for your wrap-up, and I'd like you to predict. And Maduro said he'd be a very rich man if he could predict anything that's going to change, any nuances in the millennial generation in terms of this profile we just read. So I'm going to start with, let's see, let's start with Craig McDonald. First, I'd like you to tell me if you agree with the profile we read from Maduro, and then I want you to give me your predictions. If we had this conversation five years from today, Craig McDonald, would we still be talking about the millennials? Would they be called something else? Would Gen Y be Gen Y number two or number three? Talk to me. So I'm going to give you two minutes, nail your final platform, and tell me what your predictions are, and then we'll follow with Paul and Madura. Two minutes each. Go, Craig. Start. Uh, yeah, I will quote Homer Simpson. At that time, we will be welcoming our new computer overlords. But uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I think the main thing will be talking about is whether if you remember the movie minority report which every good marketer thinks about as the future um will we be thinking about whether or not that is quaint or not and it'll be quaint in one of two ways it will either be naive or it'll either be quaint in its omniscience um you know minority report was basically saying that we will be recognized based off of facial identification and that every white space on the on the planet will be used to market to us in some ways and you know i think five years from now that's going to be a major part of the conversation because of the information that's being generated by the millennials and by just basically the entire population i'm telling you right now i mean this stuff is being worked very heavily by every advertiser every advertising agency and every big platform out there to try to figure out how do we get better at this how do we make sure that anytime there's an opportunity we give a brand or a marketer the opportunity to socialize that information a minority report was one possible future and marketers will either do this in a way where it is a very seamless integration, kind of like what Paul mm-hmm. and uh, Matura were talking about, a very seamless integration where the context of the person's life is put in perspective. The media by which they are communicated with is appropriate. could be wearable technology like Google Glass or a watch or whatever. Um, and the message that's being delivered is being delivered at the right time in the right way without over the top. Or it will be like banner ads today where they just get pounded out endlessly until you submit, right? It'll be crude, blunt, and obnoxious. And my sense is it'll be a little bit of both. And in five years, this conversation will be about how do you, how do you manage the, incre- the incredible amount of information that exists? How do we deal with the incredible ways, you know, basically the infinite number of ways they can communicate with a consumer? What do we do with all of this data? Because nobody will really have their, handles, their hands around it yet, and it'll still be a, a, an enormous problem. And it'll still be an enormous opportunity, but it won't be at maturity yet. Thank you, Craig McDonald. Dr. Paul Marsden, two minutes on the clock. Go. Okay. Well, I think first thing to note is that uh, if millennials started in 1980, they're already sort of 34 years old. This is not about youth marketing. This is now about mainstream consumer marketing. These Good people point. have jobs. They have families. Um, I think what, what's going to happen is that we will continue to be surprised. I mean, technology drives social change, and so we'll continue continue to be surprised at, at what happens. So, but but I, what I think where we'll be going in terms of predictions is that we will come to be more insight-led rather than looking at uh, at distilling data down and hopefully creating new uh, new insights from data. We will use understanding, better consumer understanding, to be able to 
give people products and getting them, to, getting them the right product at the right time at the right price. I leave you with a sort of a, a thought that uh, um, there's a guy called Mike Shermer who looked at people's crazy beliefs, beliefs in the times of change. And he said, actually, you know, when everything is in change, there are three things you can hold on to because three things that people find exciting uh, when, when in, in times of change. And that the first one, very millennial, is instant gratification. We want mm-hmm. it now. And I think right. that real-time thing is super important. The second thing, with all the data out there, the data Craig's talking about, um, we want simplification. We want our lives to be simplified. Everything is so complicated. There's so much out there. So offer instant gratification, offer simplification. And I think then the third thing, to your point, you, you made uh, quite insightful, I think, Bonnie, at the beginning. People are looking for meaning. And Mike Shermer, in his, his, book, in mm-hmm. his book, said he called it credo. Uh, credo consolence. I think, therefore, I need to be consoled. I need to be comforted. I need to be told that I matter. We all realize that ultimately we're just worm food and we're going to die and then worms are going to go nibble, 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 munch, 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 munch. But, but so we want, to, we want to be given hope. So the marketer, who the people who will, who, will, who will win in the future, those are going to be offering instant gratification, simplification, and hope. Sell those three things and uh, the world is your oyster. Thank you, Paul. I need to give Madura one and a half minutes. I've got two to go. I need 30 seconds for me. Go, Madura. Give me one minute. Tie it all up. Yeah. So the, the one thing that I will say, uh, Bonnie, is I, I, I already said I don't know what millennials would look like, but I do have a sense of brands of the future would look like. And the brands of the future are the ones who are not going to follow culture, but are going to define culture overall. And they are the ones who are going to embrace Things that are you know that they see in their ecosystem and bring it bring it out. It is the things that, for example, when Coke goes to India and they build up vending machines that where people can interact with the touch of a hand with people in Pakistan, when they can actually do you know build bottles of Coke that are uh, made of of ice overall in Brazil to show that people can play. On, 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 a, on a beach. That's how they're defining culture. That's how they're engaging. And that is going to be the future from a brand perspective in engaging with millennials. They will be defining the culture. They will be, you know, uh, letting the me uh, generation know that we are here as we, not as you and I. That's, Thank that's, you, Madur. Thank you. I need to wrap here tomorrow, Wednesday. Coffee break with Game Changers at AM Pacific. You know where to find me. December 11th, show number 114, Enterprise Mobility for Dummies, second edition. Yes, we're going to have the authors on the show. And my subtext for that is you can run, but you can't hide from mobility. Thursday, Startup Focus with Game Changers. We'll be talking about the handheld future, exploring the mind of mobility, how it's changing our digital dynamic personally, professionally, and commercially. Next Tuesday, join us here again for BizBuzz with Game Changers, 9 a.m. Pacific, and show number two will be in-memory computing, a new technology to remember. I think there's a song about that. Thank you, Craig McDonald, Dr. Paul Mars, and Madura Agarwal. Wonderful panel. Great conversation. I love the debate. That's really great. Shout-out Susan Walker, Tom Flanagan, Malcolm Kimberlin, and a shout-out to Sonia Dewey at Hot Fusion. Brad and the Business Channel team, always great. Everyone, here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game-changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for our debut of Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Talk to you tomorrow on Coffee Break. Have a great one. Bye-bye.
Thanks again for tuning in to BizBuzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. We'll be right back.